You're listening to What She Said with Candace Sampson, a podcast for Canadian women about Canadian women. A mansplaining free zone, What She Said is here to empower, educate, and entertain you. If there is one thing that most female entrepreneurs can agree on, it's that your network truly is your net worth when it comes to forging a successful path in business. And while it's not always the case, that network is primarily comprised of other women because we get it. We understand gender bias and the other struggles that only women face when it comes to entrepreneurship. When COVID struck, many of us were cut off from our networks and that innate need for social interaction and camaraderie went untapped. That is until Strike Up Canada launched. The little tiny online conference that could was only meant to reach a provincial audience, but ended up attracting 3,000 women around the globe in its first year, fulfilling a need for connection and learning. This year, Strike Up Canada is back on March 3rd and is entirely free to attend. The lineup of women speaking are, to put it simply, Wonder Women. Amber Mack, Joanna Griffiths, Jen Harper, and Tierra Fraser are but a few of the featured speakers. Today, I'm joined by two of them, Robin Kovitz, President and CEO of Baskets, Inc., and Rachel Lambeau, founder and CEO of Sade Baron. I'm also joined by Devin Gerard, who for the last two years has pulled Strike Up together. Over the next half hour, we dive into gender bias for female entrepreneurs, some tips for getting around it, and the elusive quest for balance. These three incredible women are not gatekeepers of information and open up about all aspects of their entrepreneurial journey. So take the time to learn from these amazing women today. And when we're done here, head on over and sign up for Strike Up Canada. Welcome to the show, ladies. I'm so pleased to have you here today, uh, shaping up to be another great discussion uh, that will empower a lot of women, I'm sure, as they are working through their entrepreneurial struggles. So I thought we would start with the elevator pitch, something I absolutely hate having to do for myself. I feel a lot of women really feel that angst when you have to put yourself out there uh, and talk about yourself and then condense it into this this really short snippet. But let's see what you've got since you are the expert. So we'll start with Rachel. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, My name is Rachel Lambeau. I am the CEO and co-founder of Shadi Barron. And Shadi Baron started with my mom in 2016, and we focus on highly efficacious body care products that are result-driven with highly quality ingredients and formulations uh, for body care products um, that are for everybody, male and female. It's a unisex line, and we're based out of Toronto. Okay. Robin, you're up. 
Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. My name is Robin Kovitz, and I'm the president and CEO of Baskets, Inc. That's Baskets with an I. We're Canada's leading purveyor of fine gifts. Our gift baskets and boxes are perfect for any occasion, like celebrating the birth of a new baby or a big life accomplishment or maintaining that critical business relationship. We ship products all across Canada and the U.S., and we make wow factor gifting quick and easy by sourcing the highest quality products using best-in-class systems and infrastructure and always providing top-notch customer service. Robin, you have done this before. <laughs> I'm working on it. Like that everything was, else in entrepreneurship, it's a work in progress. <laughs> that was very polished. All right, Devin, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're here to obviously support these amazing ladies uh, for Strike Up Conference. But let's share a little bit about you and Strike Up. Feel a little bit like an entrepreneur trying to pull off um, Canada's largest digital event for women entrepreneurs. So Strike Up was launched last year um, with a little goal of trying to inspire women entrepreneurs and connect them in a digital format um, to learn from one another and grow. We attracted over 3,000 women to our event last year and uh, realized quickly that there was a need for this type of platform for women to learn and grow from one another. So Strike Up is back. It's back for year two. And we're welcoming, um, again, over 3,000 women from right across Canada um, to really um, spend the day networking with one another and provide that one-stop shop to work with all of the different um, ecosystems of support out there and companies who have supports in place for women entrepreneurs. All right. Incredible. I want to talk, I want to start this conversation a little bit about being an entrepreneur uh, because I think it's something that we're almost, I mean, I've been self-employed entrepreneurial now for almost 20 years, which means I've essentially made myself unemployable because I couldn't possibly work for anybody else. So um, I'm wondering, Robin and Rachel, were you always an entrepreneur? Is this something, have you been a serial entrepreneur until you reached this moment? Or did you just throw your hands up and said, I am done with nine to five with other people and I'm going to go out on my own? How did you arrive at this spot? I'll jump in since Rachel had to go first last time. Rachel, I'm checking out your products. They're absolutely beautiful. And I love the the body care quiz on your website. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, so, I, Candace, I can, I can share my story. I, I um, grew up in an entrepreneurial household. So my, my dad was an entrepreneur. And from that, I decided I never wanted to be an entrepreneur because I really saw firsthand the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And so I was on quite a corporate career path um, right until I turned 30. And then when I had my first child, I was like, whoa, how am I going to do this? I, you know, I, I, my success professionally had been because I worked harder than anybody else, not necessarily smarter or maybe luckier. Um, but I, you know, was pregnant and wondering how I was going to, you know, breastfeed and work from home and be the kind of mom that I wanted to be, but also not give up my whole career. And so long story short, I thought that entrepreneurship would be a path to have more flexibility. You know, before it was COVID cool to work from home, I basically wanted to work from home. So I became an entrepreneur. And did you find that it did free up your time? Or did you find that it consumed more of your time? Because that has been my, uh, my journey is that, you know, I similar uh, had children, uh, decided I didn't want to leave them. We would prefer to work from home um, and had the, the privilege to do so. And 
uh, what I ended up finding was that entrepreneurship is 24-7. It never ends. You have no safety net generally. Um, and it can be a little bit exhausting. So did you find that before you were able to sort of put in your own boundaries? Yeah, uh, so astute. I've, I've gone through the exact same experience. Uh, and I, I'm, I still don't have all the answers. I'm working with coaches and trying to get better every day. Time management is very difficult because I could work 24-7 and I'm kind of naturally a workaholic. And so figuring out how to put those boundaries in place is something I'm working on. Uh, you know, realizing that a to-do list will never be done. It's like a laundry bin. It just keeps filling filling back up. Um, but yeah, ultimately what we decided is my husband actually took a step back from his career to join Baskets. So he is he's a lawyer um, and he is general counsel of our company. So he deals with um, contracts and HR and account, like those types of things that I really don't want to spend my time on and so I'm, it's we're very lucky that we're at the scale where we can afford to have him um, and I would say between us we have ba enough balance for our family uh, when we were both grinding at you know him as a partner at a law firm and me as a you know early stage entrepreneur first time female CEO uh, you know we had two sets of nannies we were both working all the time not seeing each other and we just <clears throat> looked at each other and said this this isn't going to work how are we going to and so he graciously decided to step back. And so I would say I don't have all the answers, Candace, and I definitely haven't figured out the time management sort of mental health piece of it, of taking care of yourself as an entrepreneur. I think that's sort of a really interesting path. It's sort of field that's really shone a light on through COVID. But, um, but I'd say with my, between my husband and me, we have work-life balance. That's great. That, that you are, you are a rarity in this space then. Uh, Rachel, how about you? What's your experience been? Um, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 13. I think I was selling uh, clothing, vintage clothing when I was 13, 14. I got um, a small business grant, the summer company grant when I was 16. Um, and then I just always had a business, but I also went to university. I studied um, design, advertising design specifically. And I did have a regular career path as well, where I went to get a job, but I seem to always be drawn to starting a business. If it's with a friend or now with my mother, um, it was always something that I desired to do. And sometimes I even um, said, you know, I'm going to quit. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to work a nine to five. And then I would halfway a year into it, I'd be like, no my brain is like moving and my cogs are like, everything is just moving in my head. And I'm like trying to figure it out. What I'm, I don't want to do it, but I seem to always be drawn to that. Um, and I think um, I just started accepting that I am meant to be an entrepreneur and I I've embraced it. I've gone into the deep end and, and done that. But in terms of work-life balance, it's, it's really, it's really stressful sometimes. Um, just like Robin, I could work 24 seven. I am a natural workaholic, uh, but I've come, I've come up with a lot of boundaries, especially during COVID to take a walk, to read a book, <laughs> to watch a movie, to spend time with family, to cook, to do something, a hobby and, and sort of realize that I have to create some other things, not just work. Right. And it's really hard sometimes when you talk to friends and family who, who don't have uh, a night, like a, a business, um, sometimes they can't relate. So I have to be like, okay, I got to talk about other things about work. Um, so trying to figure out that has, has been a little helpful for me. Yeah. It's funny. There's a lot of times where I sit there and say, Oh, like I, I have, uh, what's the word? 
je- well, I guess jealousy is the only really way to describe it of, of friends of mine who go to work in the morning and come home and they don't think about work again. And I, I can't relate. I think about work all the time. It's constant. It's nagging at you. But we're here today to talk about gender bias and not, <laughs> not the impact of entrepreneurship on our mental health and life, because uh, we could go on about that forever. So let's talk about a l- some gender bias, though, because we know it exists. And we actually, I think we have to admit, too, that we have our own built-in um, biases that that hold us back ourselves, you know, things like asking for money or, you know, uh, you know, being, uh, putting ourselves out there, even just, you know, like we said, our elevator pitch or writing our bio, uh, you know, these things sometimes hold us back. So let's talk a little bit about gender bias and some of the things you've experienced yourselves. Uh, do you have any, uh, events or sort of examples you can share with people, uh, about sort of your journey with that? Um, for me, I think um, when we started out, uh, so I had actually worked as a um, brand manager for a skincare line, and I traveled through Europe and did a lot of B2B trade shows. And it was really quite quickly apparent that when you start looking at the bigger brands, it's all like all men. <laughs> it's like in a, in a category that is serving predominantly women, mind boggling. My boss was a man, not nothing. He was a great guy. It's just like, why are you here? Why are you in this business? Right. And it, it was, it was very apparent when you walk through the trade show floors and you see these big brands, these beautiful brands, skincare, makeup, nails, cosmetic, anything you think of 90% of the people were men and the women were usually working for those men, right. Doing the work, connecting with the buyers, connecting with whomever they're, they're coming across. And I did see that even when I started my business with my mother, where we were, you know, we, we wanted to get a bank loan and, you know, the bank manager was a man and he's like, yeah, like, why do you need this? Like, what is this? Is this like, explain to me what this product is. And then we would explain it. He's like, well, I don't get it. I'm like, okay. Um, maybe you want to ask your wife, but that's just ridiculous that I have to go bypass this person who is a decision maker and doesn't get it. He's like, I don't get it. I'm like, what is there not to get? We make body care products, you know, lotions, soaps. He's like, I still don't get it. Like, what do you need this money for? And it was, these experiences happen a lot when you want to expand and when you want to grow and when you have ideas and you need the support through capital and also just uh, resources. Um, So we've experienced that quite often. I want to just actually focus on that one point you just brought up. You said bypassing, Uh, you know, you bypass the person because a lot of people might get to that first meeting and somebody will dismiss them and say, well, I don't understand this and I don't get it. And they would give up. What, what compelled you to keep going? Uh, I think I'm insane. First of all. Uh, So as an entrepreneur, you just have to like, no is just not an answer. It's just you telling me no, but that doesn't mean I can't go around you or above you or beside under you or beside you. Right. So I think for me, it was just like, you know what? Okay. So you said no, but there's a lot of other people that won't say no. Um, so I think I saw it that way. Um, and you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to find solutions all the time (laughs) from like all this, like throughout any challenges. So I think that was just another challenge that I saw and I said, okay, well, 
you don't want to help me. You, you don't understand my business clearly. And maybe, frankly, I don't want your money because you don't understand my business. Maybe I want to get more money when I come back and you don't get it. So if you don't get it, I don't know how to convince you. So I started thinking, okay, you know what? This is not the right way. I'll find someone else. I'll network. I'll reach out to other entrepreneurs to ask them how they overcome that gender bias because it, it happens to a lot of other uh, women entrepreneurs in, our, in the category of skincare. Um, and a lot of people said the same thing. He's like, shop around, reach out to people. Um, and in just in banking generally, it's still very male dominated. So when you walk in as a woman saying, hey, you know, I have a business plan and I have five years of sales and I have like my accounting done, um, people are still like not as eager to, to provide money, uh, capital to a woman entrepreneur, um, yet alone a minority person too. So I think that in itself is really um, yeah, always. <laughs> so, so out of curiosity, where did you eventually find that buy-in? Friends and family. A lot of our money came from that. Um, we put in a lot of our, 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 our savings into that. And then over time, we started applying for grants. And then we ended up getting a line of credit. Uh, and now it's like, okay, do what, what do we do next? Right. Where, where do we, where do we get another capital cash infusion? Cause we need some, right. It's like, what, where do you get that to grow, to scale? Right. Because scaling needs, you need capital, right. You need, you need that to, to kind of get you going and push you further out and reach more people. So, I mean, we started really networking and then I think asking other entrepreneurs like, Oh yeah, you know, can you give me your banker's information? Um, especially when it's, um, a woman banker, like the one who gave us a lot of credit, she was a woman. She totally got it. She was like, this is what we sell. Do you want, do you want us to send you some, can we like show you the product in person? She totally got it. I mean, what is there not to get? You don't got to ask your wife what creams and lotions are, but it's almost like they, it's almost like they didn't want to try to understand, or maybe this was something that they weren't used to. Um, so I think that that was a challenge too, but asking our network and reaching out to other entrepreneurs, sometimes ones that I knew, sometimes the ones that I didn't know, I would just send them an email and say, Hey, this is like what I'm dealing with. I know this is like a random question, but could you possibly prefer refer a person to us? Or this is almost like a natural plug for strike up and the importance of building these networks and having these conferences so that you can meet other people in the exact same boat as you. Um, Robin, tell me about uh, some of the hurdles you may have run into with baskets for gender bias specifically. Sure. Um, Rachel, thanks for sharing your story. I I have a similar story and I can't even imagine the added layer of being a minority of what you've had to face. I have been shocked uh, by the bias and discrimination against women entrepreneurs in my journey, like just shocked. Um, I've had very similar bank conversations with all men, you know, I think unfortunately, you know, our business is a, you know, pink business. And so it can be underestimated, you know, gift baskets. I've, if I had a dollar for everyone who says, oh, you make those in your basement. And I say, no, I have, you know, 50,000 square feet and a hundred employees, you know, they just, they underestimate, you know, I think also in skincare, Rachel, you probably see that a lot. Um, so I think, yeah, I was, you know, and I, I have a, an MBA from Harvard and a, and a BCom from Queens. And I, I had 10 years of investing in private equity uh, experience before I, I went out and did this and I couldn't get a loan. And so I was sitting there saying like, hold the phones. If, if I can't get a loan, how does 
how how are any entrepreneurs in Canada doing this? And you know, I have a solid business plan. I understand cash flow planning, um, and that was when I really discovered that I think we have huge gender bias in this country. Um, through all through credit adjudication process through 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 all parts of business and i think i think venture capital is doing a great job right now sort of we're, we're putting a spotlight on this issue that female fun, uh, founders don't get funded um and you know it's it's interesting my my five-year-old said to me mom you don't look like a ceo and i just sat with that for a minute and and you know it's such a simple interesting observation but it's true i think you know the more we have this image in our mind of a CEO is what a white man. Um, the more these gender biases will pervasive biases will exist. Um, so you know we need more like Sarah Blakely or you know Whitney Heard, you know from Bumble, where you have you know what does an entrepreneur look like, right? It could look like any shape, size, color. Um, and the more we get more examples of diversity in entrepreneurship, including gender, I think then we can change what people think it should look like. I'll just kind of end with a quick story. Um, I was up for an Entrepreneur uh, of the Year Award, a, re a really sort of prominent program. And the panel of judges was all white men. And um, and one of them asked me at the end, you know, I went through my elevator pitch, which I've been working on. And, and right at the end, he said, so tell me, you know, your growth has been incredible. Who is the decision maker behind baskets? And I, you know, seven-year-old white man, I was just absolutely floored. I was like, it's it's me, just me. I'm the owner and the CEO. And he just couldn't fathom that it was me that had grown this business so much, me, this this woman, a uh, young woman. And so um, I come full circle to, I think gender bias is real. I think it's the work that Strike Up in Scotia and everyone is doing to really get that, that out there and, and help people understand that it's not a level playing field for women entrepreneurs um, is very, very important. And, you know, I look forward to a day when my five-year-old son says, yeah, sure, you look like a CEO. You know, I think we can't underestimate too, because I've talked about this a lot on my show in the last, oh gosh, couple of years, it's come up repeatedly that by 2030, women will control most of this wealth in the country. We are it. Like, start paying attention because... <laughs> We've been silently pushing forward and we are moving to control most of the wealth in this country. So I think that institutions uh, and investors need to pay attention uh, to, to women who are really driving the economy uh, through a variety of entrepreneurial uh, of, um, adventures, adventures, that's the wrong word, entrepreneurial ventures. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think people do need to start paying attention to that. Um, so let's talk about, because we can all share stories about things we've run into. How do we change it? So how do we start moving the needle so that that is it, is it writing letters? Is it just, you know, creating these networks, these conferences? Is it, do we need more um Women who, you know, there's a group called the 51, for example, uh, in Canada, they started, they invest solely in female uh, ventures. Uh, so do we need more of that sort of thing? What do you think are some of the steps we need to take to, to beat this down? I think you're doing a great service here, Candace, in allowing our women entrepreneurs to share their stories. Um, the more stories that are stories that are being shared um, is helping to create more awareness of really what some of these challenges are. One of the goals we have at the Strike Up Conference with it aimed for women entrepreneurs is to really um, ensure people are aware of those commitments that corporate partners and ecosystem partners are making to closing this gender gap. We look at Scotiabank and their 
Women Initiative, for example. We're trying to provide a one-stop shop for women entrepreneurs to share their stories, but to also network with various different companies, with various different um, government-funded services out there that really are geared to closing this gender gap and supporting women entrepreneurs because the awareness is growing. There is a shift happening. I think now it's part of our collective responsibility to help women entrepreneurs lean on one another and kind of connect the dots to programs that are available to them. Robin and Rachel, what do you think? What, what would you like to see happen so that, you know, the people who are coming up behind you, who are looking at you as their mentors, what would you like to see change for them? I think uh, for um, myself, I think the programs are really great that are out there, but sometimes they don't provide capital, right? So you go through a program for eight weeks or 12 weeks and they tell you a bunch of stuff and it's like taking away time that you could actually be running your business. Um, so getting actually capital where it's like, hey, we're going to give you money because you already are ready. You're runway ready. You have your business. You understand your customer. You have a proven fact. And we just want to throw cash at you, Right. And I think that is really missing because a lot of women are running always in a shoestring budget and we're, we're still excelling on a shoestring budget. But imagine if we had capital, we would totally crush it in that way. And I think another one is networking. I think understanding that it's okay to reach out to someone. I think a lot of people, sometimes when they think of networking, it's like, oh, it's at an event, but it could be just an email sent to a person that you don't know. And you say, Hey, like I'm, I'm trying to do this. And and being able to ask that and, and having, uh, having that opportunity to build a network across like all different industries and fields and just being able to like ask those questions. Because sometimes I think people, I think women especially, we don't always ask because we're told yeah. no. All the time. <laughs> so I, I really, I really want to like just scream and go, yes, yes, that's the point. Network. You need to reach out to people. I can't stress this enough. I have, my network is you know, hundreds and hundreds of women across Canada. And honestly, I feel like the luckiest person on earth, because if I have a question, I just have all these incredible women I can reach out to and just never underestimate the value of building your network. Only good things will come out of that. I totally agree with you on that. Absolutely. Robin, what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I echo what Devin and Rachel have said. I, I think it's it comes down to representation. I think the more we can see ourselves out there, the more our daughters can see, you know, a diverse range of, of female entrepreneurs, uh, the better. And I, I commend Strike Up, you know, I think um, Jen from Cheekbone Beauty, um, Joanna Griffiths, you know, a huge article in the Globe and Mail raised $53 million while heavily pregnant with twins. I mean, that was something 10 years ago when I was starting out that just wouldn't have been possible. So the more we, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Whitney heard holding her baby, ringing the bell to go take her company public, the more we can see us. And, you know, unfortunately, those that's not a very diverse uh, example other than Jen, but the more we can see women and diverse women in these successful roles and them sharing their stories, how it wasn't a straight line and they persevered like I loved when Rachel said you know no just isn't a thing um, the more we can get those stories out and the more we can see see ourselves as entrepreneurs I think hopefully it, it will make a, a better path for the next generation and so I just want to talk about something quickly because I think that this is a, an ongoing thing right now is that there are a lot of places and and events and everybody wants a little bit of your time and your time is money so how, I mean, even just you being here today, giving me uh, your time to share with other women graciously, um, you know, 
how do you how do you sort through all of those requests on your time uh, between maintaining social media, running your business, participating in things like this? Uh, how do you um, decide what's important and what you will not participate in? Um, I guess for me, I look at it from like this. I want to participate in because if I can encourage someone else who hears my story or sees me here, then I'm so happy that I can do that along the, along my journey. Um, but yeah, it's very hard sometimes to like, you get a, emails. All I get so many emails and I was telling you, I, I was at a trade show for a couple of days and I'm scared to look at my inbox because it's just flooded. But I, I just go through it and read it. And I, I definitely understand sometimes it's hard for me to say no, but I have to sometimes because my time is really valuable. So, or I say to people like maybe next year or maybe in a few months from now when my, I have a little bit more downtime, especially when I see value in it and it helps other entrepreneurs or I can, I can use my knowledge and share something that may be a value to someone else. Um, but I try to find a work-life balance, especially now. I, I really want to be able to set these boundaries where, you know, at seven o'clock, and this is like light seven, maybe eight, I can like stop working and just watch TV or eat dinner, you know, with family. So I think I look at these opportunities and say, okay, what can I, what, how can I bring value? And does this value actually make sense? Is this going to actually help somebody? And if it doesn't, then I have to decline and I have to say, Let's circle back when it does make sense. Robin, how about you? I think saying no is really hard. It's something I'm working on. Um, I think I think it comes down to a couple things, and I, it's taken me sort of into my 40s to learn this. Um, I think I think it comes to setting your sort of north star. So really understanding what your priorities are and what's important to you. And so for me, like family is at the top of that, and that helps me sort of find my decision tree of, of what I say no to and what I say yes to. Um, I think I also really use the Eisenhower matrix. It's kind of a nerdy two by two um, that helps you sort of put in a two by two. So four, four squares, what's your really ranking urgent versus important. And it's, it sort of decides what you do now, what you schedule to do later, what you delegate to somebody else and what you just don't do. And once you kind of have your, so I'm constantly just like drawing four squares on a piece of paper and, and putting all these tasks in and then figuring out, you know, what needs to be done by me, what could be done by somebody else. Um, but I think, I think time management is one of the greatest challenges as of being an entrepreneur. And I definitely do not have all the answers. I don't have the level of work-life balance personally that I, I would love to aspire towards. So I think for any of those entrepreneurs struggling out there with with this, you are totally normal. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, in my 20s, I would stay up all night and work work all night. I think in my 40s, I'm, I'm recognizing that what makes me successful sometimes is rest, like Rachel's spoken about a few times. Sometimes I'm not making good decisions when I'm on edge and overworked and haven't slept or haven't eaten properly. So sometimes even though I think, especially as women, you know, we feel like we're being lazy or something if we watch TV, but sometimes that's the best thing you can do for you and for your company. Yeah, I, I, that is something that I've really shifted my mindset to as well. And maybe this is an age thing. You know, we start to have a different perspective on things. But, uh, you know, I used to pull those all-nighters and go all, and now I've really embraced the, the, the restorative powers of sleep. <laughs> really important, having that, that normal bedtime and taking a break from it all because it really does give you a different perspective. Um, I want to just ask where I have a final question I'm going to get to, uh, but before we do, I do want to ask, 
because I'm always reading, um, always looking for new information. Has there been something, a book you've read or a person you've listened to that has really shifted your mindset that you would, you would encourage people to also, uh, you know, find out more about? Um, I read uh, this book called Atomic Habits. Uh, that book is amazing. If anybody has time to read it, they have an audiobook that you can read and like listen to in five hours. Um, and it just talks about like habits and how you build habits and how you unlearn habits and things like that. And I also listened to um, How I Built This by NPR. Um, it's just so inspiring because you hear stories and you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. I do have a mental breakdown and I need a break. And it's very inspiring to see, hear that because I think you sometimes you're very alone in this entrepreneur journey. It doesn't matter how many people work for you or how many partners you have. Sometimes you're literally by yourself and you are trying to figure out how to solve this problem in your head. And you sometimes have these like mental fogs and it's like you're scared or you're like, oh my gosh, what, what did I do? Um, and I think these, these, uh, the podcast and reading books that talk about habit and working, finding your working style and finding your way, um, does really help. And sometimes put in perspective that you're not alone. You're, you're not going through this journey alone. Essentially, there's a lot of other people going through the same thing and you kind of find your way along, along that journey and you find your vision and, and what works for you. And I think those two think that that was the most recent book that I read and it was really mind blowing for me. Okay. Robin, how about you? Yeah, I'm writing this down. I'm going to buy Atomic Habits right away. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> um, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. Like I, I read everything I try. Um, I overread. Um, I think the most impactful thing that I've read recently is by Simon Sinek. If anyone like finding your why, again, I think I'm sh revealing my age here, but I think um, you know, into your 40s, just really understanding why we're doing things and, and what the purpose is. And so for me, like a big part of my why is making it easy for other female entrepreneurs, easier and to not face some of the challenges. So then once I find that why, that sort of North Star, it helps me, you know, of course, I'd say yes to something like this, because this is aligned with my why, you know, I, I really want to, you know, raise the quality of living for my employees you know, and so the more money I can share with them, the better. That's my why. And so I think just figuring out your why as a leader is, is really helps. Um, and then of course, all of the sort of efficiency books and how to be better with your time and all that stuff. Devin, do you have, uh, is there something that you've read recently or listened to that you, you would uh, recommend? Uh, I, the one I really liked was called Persuasion. And it's all about um, learning how to ask questions to um, get answers and responses to what, what we want, right? And sort of back to that, um, you know, topic we all talk about how sometimes as women, we're scared to ask or we're not asking the right questions, but it's about structuring how we're asking questions to, you know, receive the response that we want. And I found it really helpful in terms of just building, you know, confidence and how to shift simple words into getting um, answers to help us succeed. All right. So one of the things that I have been hammering home uh, at what she said is to be confident, to be bold. Uh, you know, you can get out there and share your story and you're not going to seem cocky. Uh, you know, I want you, all three of you, to share a brag moment. See, none of us want to go first. So I will, <laughs> I will take the pressure off. Um, 
brag moment for sure has to be um, Strike Up, this little conference that we set out to build last year, we thought for um, Southern Ontario women. And we only advertised in Southern Ontario and the power of a digital event, over 3000 women joined 28 different countries and really demanded more and demanded us to come back and find a way to fund it and to make it happen. So um, couldn't be more proud of, of what a little community in uh, Ontario was able to pull off. Yeah, that just, that just, my heart just burst listening to that because I love these moments, the power of community and women banding together. It's incredible. All right. Uh, let's see, Robin, Rachel, who would like to go first with your brag moment? I'll jump in. So Rachel can have more time to think. I've, uh, I've been the lucky beneficiary of that throughout this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, it, you know, it's so interesting. It is so hard to brag because I don't know if anyone else early in my career, I got feedback that someone thought I was arrogant. And I do think women get that feedback more often than men. And so it's, you know, it sort of swatted me way back that I, I try not to talk about myself, but I, it's something I'm working on, Kenneth. I think you're right. It's really important. So, I mean, I'm very proud of the team that we've built at Baskets Inc. Um, and that we've been recognized two years in a row, hopefully three this year as Canada's one of Canada's fastest growing companies. That is totally a brag. Uh, and I love it. I love everything about it. Uh, bravo. We'll give you a round of applause. That is amazing. So thank you so much, Rachel. Come on. You're, you're in the hot seat. Oh my gosh. I, I don't. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know what? Robin is still right. It's like, we're told to be like humble, right? And then men try to humble you in many ways. And so it's actually really hard for me to think about a brag moment because I've always been told you're too confident or you're really cocky and I'm not, I just am me. Cause if I happen to be a man, this would be so acceptable. Um, so why can't I be that? Right. Um, I think my brag moment would be that we're in about 110 stores across us and Canada for a really small business that just my mom and I, like we all did everything for the last four and a half years. It's just in the last six months that we actually have um, sort of expanded our business. And even then it's just like really nimble and very lean and very small. Um, and so I think that is just something that is really amazing because when we started out, we were selling at farmer's markets uh, and now we're in like amazing stores across the US and Canada. So I, that's my brag moment. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. That's, I love this. All right. I, that was going to be my last question, but actually I want to keep going with just one more. Give me a big, hairy, audacious goal. What are you going for? My big, hairy, audacious goal is to build the company to hundred million in sales. Um, that has been my dream and that's my goal. Um, and it's a big, hairy, audacious one. And I think it's important to share that because I think often people uh, think of women-owned businesses as always being micro. And you'll notice a lot of the programming is for startups or for, you know, here's $10,000, go start your hair salon or whatever it is. And I think I think it's really important. Uh, I think all, those businesses, of course, are, are fantastic and very important for our economy. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that there are a lot of women leading uh, like large companies that are moving moving the needle. My number is not as big as yours, Robin, but I hope to think about it like that in a few years from now. I think mine is about $10 million in sales. I think for me, that would be, I would allow me a lot of freedom. Uh, it would allow me the type of life work balance that Robin has with her family and her kids. Um, and that's, that's what I aim to do. 
Um, but I think for me, that would be an amazing goal because it would also allow my mother and even in our category to have more people know who we are and what our brand actually stands for. Um, and so that's our goal. Rachel, I think we need to get you in our baskets. We need to talk. I'm, I was literally thinking that I was like, oh, please tell me there's going to be a love match here because <laughs> you two are made for each other. Okay. I Devin, would love to. Devin, do you have a, uh, a big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, to bring strike up in person. I think I want to get through COVID. I want women to network with one another in person and continue to be Canada's um, largest conference for women entrepreneurs. Harder when you're in person um, to attract those numbers, but I think we can do it. And to continue what Robin said is focusing on really delivering programming and services on that growing and scaling. We shifted strike up this year. Uh, we heard that feedback last year. Women want to know more from other women about how and why they made key decisions that really shape the trajectory of their business. And um, we love learning from one another. I know we're all women who are just absorbing everything we can and can't wait to continue to try and bring more women entrepreneurs together. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.